have to also admit that this time it's a lot more nerve-wracking because the last time I got a dress rehearsal because we used to record the week before. So bear with me. See, as you know, the scripture for our church this year is Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3. And it says, Enlarge the place of your tent, strengthen your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess the nations and settle in their desolate cities. Sharing from this platform definitely stretches me. It's much easier speaking to a classroom of children, especially this year when I've got primary one, because they just do as they're told. Well, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> Last week, when Jim shared right at the end, he started to share a couple of the stories that I'm going to share this morning. I was about like, oh my goodness, please stop talking. Because <laughs> I was so worried that he was going to just keep going and I'm like, oh my goodness, God, you're going to have to change my message. But you see, that makes it worthwhile because you know that when God puts something in your heart that it confirms it's from him and not something we think is just a good idea. We need to have God's ideas and we need to follow them through. Too often we have an idea of our own and we run with it until we fall flat on our face. But you see, when it's a God idea, we often sit and wait for God to make the first move, hoping that someone else will do what God has asked us to do. So when I was thinking about this month's theme of engagement and what it really means, I looked for a definition and found this one for a workplace. It says, employee engagement is a human resources concept that it describes the level of enthusiasm and dedication a worker feels towards their job. Engaged employees care about their work and about performance of the company and feel that their efforts make a difference. See, I believe this can be changed from a workplace to church. And it would then read that engagement is a concept that describes the level of enthusiasm and dedication a church goer feels towards their church when they care about their church and feel that their efforts make a difference. You see, our efforts will make a difference when we are engaged fully in all aspects of church life. But you see, now the teacher in me is going to come out because the word engagement is a noun. But the verb for engagement is engage, and a verb is a doing word. The definition of engaged is to interact socially, to engross or hold attention of, to keep busy or occupied. We need to choose to do we need to choose to engage, and that's in all aspects of church life. You've already made a choice today. You've either chosen to come to church, or you've chosen to watch online. That's the first choice you made this morning about church. But then, when you're here or online, you need to choose to engage in the worship, or choose to sing and not worship, because your head is too full of what happened before you came to church this morning, or all the things that you need to do when you leave. You need to choose to engage in the word or sit and believe that it's for someone else and not for you. See, I can admit to sitting there and making the choice to sing and not to worship and also for believing the word is for someone else and not for me. I don't know how many times I've got in the car on the way home and says to Billy, oh, I know who that word was for. Like, I really know who needed to hear that this morning. Instead of asking God, God, what have I to do with that word? What part of that word was for me? See, after the last time I'd honour to share, I was sure that I knew what God wanted me to share. It was a Kerry idea, but then he pressed these scriptures in my heart, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about them, because that's a God idea. See, God has been speaking to me about these three stories, probably since December last year. Um, 
And actually, I was still fighting and thinking, but God, this sounds better. This is an easier thing to share. So this morning, I want to speak to you about generosity. But I want to look at three different stories of generosity in the Bible. Because generosity isn't always something that you give as money. There are so many ways that we can be generous. The dictionary says that generosity is a quality that's a lot like unselfishness. Showing someone generosity is happy to give time, money, food, or kindness to people in need. Generosity is a quality, like honesty and patience, that we probably all wish we'd more of. I also believe that generosity is a lot like faith. It's easier to faith when we see something happen, or when we sing a song like that, when we just sang that one just now. It's easier to have faith for a healing when you've seen someone else be healed. It's easy to have faith for a financial breakthrough when you've seen it happen for someone else. And it's easier to give when we see someone else giving first. So the first story I want to share with you this morning is from Matthew 14, 13 to 21. And it's when Jesus feeds the 5,000. The scripture says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down in the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. In verse 13, it talks about Jesus and what's just happened, because what's happened just before that is that Jesus has heard of what happened to his cousin John the Baptist. He's just been beheaded. But you see, even in the midst of Jesus' grief, he was still willing to give. He put his personal situation to the side. It says in 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. It can be easier for us to withdraw and become quite into ourselves when we're facing something that's difficult in our own lives. But if we choose to continue to show great generosity in all situations, God will use us to multiply what we give. You see, in this story, Jesus gave his time to the people who needed him. And through this, a much bigger miracle took place. Jesus could have chosen to ignore the people who needed him. He could have sent them away, but he didn't, even when his disciples wanted to send them away. When Rebecca was little, we bought a set of books called Alice in Bibleland. And I'm actually going to read you the story. Lindsay's going to put it up on the screen for me as well. Uh, I want you to just look at the pictures. Because it says, Alice had a picture book with Bible stories in it. She looked at it whenever she had an extra minute. One day, as Alice picnicked beneath a clump of trees, she read a Bible story from the book Upon Her Knees. About some barley loaves and fishes was the story Alice read when the airmail bird dropped her a note and this is what it read. Reading is a magic key that takes you where you want to be. 
The picture book that Alice held became a giant screen. She walked through it to Bible land and came upon this scene. She saw Jesus and his disciples on the Sea of Galilee looking for a spot to stop and rest beside the sea. They all wanted to have quiet and be alone all, all that day, but the followers of Jesus wouldn't let him get away. They followed Jesus by the shore. More people joined in too. They came from everywhere around. The crowd just grew and grew. Old men came and young men came and women came as well. Even children came to hear what Jesus had to tell. People who were sick came and the lame and the blind came too, hoping that Jesus' healing touch would make them as good as new. Listening to his teachings was such a special treat that almost everyone forgot to take some food to eat. But one small boy remembered he'd packed a tasty dish of five small loaves of barley bread along with two small fish. Jesus kept on sailing on the Sea of Galilee while the crowds kept growing bigger on the shore along the sea. Finally, Jesus found the place that he'd been looking for, but he was not alone at all, for great crowds lined the shore. 5,000 people came that day to listen to him talk, and many came for healing, for they could barely walk. So Jesus stayed there with the crowd he loved so very much, and healed the sick, the lame, and blind with his special healing touch. Then as he, walked, as he talked about God's love, the sun began to set, and Jesus realized no one there had eaten supper yet. He turned to his disciples and he asked them to buy bread for his followers were hungry and needed to be fed. We haven't enough money to feed this crowd today, one disciple said to Jesus, so send them on their way. The young boy who had brought some food came forth and bravely said, I have some food, two little fish and five small loaves of bread. Jesus had the crowd sit down and said a loving prayer to thank God for the bread and fish the boy had gave him to share. Then Jesus broke the barley bread he broke the fish up too. The more he broke, the more the food just grew and grew and grew. As Jesus broke the bread and fish, his disciples passed it out. The crowd saw quite a miracle of this, there was no doubt. For two small fish and five loaves, small loaves of bread were passed along and made a filling supper for a crowd 5,000 strong. Not only was there enough food for each and every one, 12 baskets were filled with food that was left when everyone was done. And all who saw the miracle that Jesus worked that day agreed God's promised saviour had at last come their way. The time had come for Alice to leave the Bible scene. She came back home by walking through her very special screen. Alice went back to her house and put her book away and thought, I learned so very much in Bible land today. I saw Jesus healing those who suffered and teaching folk God's way and watched a boy who listened well share all he had that day. His meal was small, the crowd was big, but he was glad to give all he had to Jesus who had taught him how to live. I found out too the miracle that Jesus did that day showed that he was the promised one whom God had sent our way. And finally I learned to put my trust in God above for he provides for everyone and shares his endless love. Rebecca loved these stories when she was little. She loved seeing where Alice was in the pages. Alice was in every page. She was always somewhere on the edge or of the page or somewhere where she couldn't be seen watching the story, but she was never in it. I thought about a little boy with his loaves and his fishes and how he could have been like Alice and stayed at the edge of the crowd, just watching and listening. The boy in the story had faith to believe that his generosity in sharing his lunch would allow Jesus to multiply what he gave. Last week when Jillian was sharing about the children's work, she reminded us all we need to have childlike faith. I wonder how many of us would have had faith to give like this little boy. 
Was there anyone else in the crowd who could have gave? Was it too late to give because the boy got there first? Or was everyone else happy to sit back and watch, waiting for Jesus to perform the miracle without them stepping out in faith? You see, the problem with always sitting back and waiting for the miracle to happen will mean that there will be times when the miracle passes us by because we didn't have faith to give what we had. I know Alice in Bible Land is to encourage children's faith, but I don't want to be like Alice and watch from the sidelines, dipping out and in of church whenever I have extra time. Yes, Alice learned a lot from her dip into the Bible, but we can all learn something new, but it isn't knowledge that increases faith. It is the doing that increases our faith. So there's another little scripture, a little tiny one that I want to share with you. And this time it's from Luke 21, 1 and 4. And I'm going to share it this time from the message. It says, Just then he looked up and saw the rich people dropping offerings into the collection plate. Then he saw a poor widow put in two pennies. He said, The plain truth is that this widow has given by the far the largest offering today. All these others made offerings that they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. I'd rather be like this widow than like Alice. I want to give my all. I don't want to give of my surplus. I don't want to give what's left. Too often we leave God last, whether it's in our finances or our time. We need to start putting God first because he wants the best of us and the best for us. We need to make sure that we put God first in all things. We expect God to fulfill the promises he's made and all too often we expect him to do it with little, no help or commitment from us. We want to see miracles without spending time with him and making sure a relationship with him is right. The widow in this story knew that even though she was giving everything she had, that her God would provide the very same God that will provide for us. It's easy to give when you get extra. But it's really difficult to give when you get very little. And this again is where it takes your faith to be generous. The last story I want to share is this first story that God really pressed in my heart and I, I couldn't get away from it. I, I couldn't understand what he wanted me to see in this story. So this is why I wrestled for so long because my other message that I thought was a good idea was much easier and I, and I knew I could see where it was supposed to go. And God kept saying, but this is the one this is the one, this is the one. And I had to really read it and really spend time almost wrestling with God to say, you actually have to show me what you want me to say about this because I don't understand. Because I couldn't see where the generosity was coming from in this story. And it's from Second Kings 4, 1 to 7. And it's the widow's olive oil. You see, this widow, she didn't have anything and she doesn't give anything. It says, the wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant is nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all of your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Put all the oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left them and shut the door behind her and her sons and they brought the jars into her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. 
but he replied, there's not a jar left, then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, you and your sons can live on what is left. Although many of the main character in the story is the widow and she doesn't give because she had nothing to give, she was in the receiving end of other people's generosity. So I was reading this story, I kept saying to God, oh God, this is too hard. I would really hate to be that widow. I would really struggle being in that widow's shoes because I find it really hard to admit when I need help. And I don't mean just financially. I don't like admitting that I'm struggling and I'm sure there's not many in here that would put their hand up and say that they're quite happy to admit that they're struggling in any area of their lives. And then it got me thinking about these and how... We were so desperate that next Sunday we wouldn't have to wear them. And then along comes Nicola Sturgeon and says, COVID's too high, you need to keep wearing it. But then I also felt that God says to me, but Kerry, when you take that off, so when you go into church in a few weeks and Nicola Sturgeon says you can go into church without your mask, will I honestly come into church without a mask? You see, I was reading about words that we should ban in church. And class, when you're writing a story, especially when you're maybe writing primary five or primary six, you'll always ban a word like said. You'll say to them, do not use said. There is much better ways to describe how someone's speaking. And I'd read this about banning words like fine and good in church. And the reason for that is because it's time to be honest with God and ourselves and each other. Too many of us wear a mask that says we're fine or we're good and we don't want to admit that we need any sort of help. The problem with these means that people don't see your facial expression. So when you're in a shop and you smile at someone, they don't know you're smiling at them anymore. People have forgotten. Babies don't know what people look like except their own families without masks. The issue that we then have with the masks that we wear that we say everything's fine or everything's good is that people don't know that we need a shoulder to cry on, that we need prayer or we need financial help. And we wear the mask and we keep it on so tightly that then when we crash, we blame someone else. We'll blame the person that didn't pray for us. We'll blame the person that didn't help us. We'll blame the church because the church didn't help. But your mask was so tight, it was so firm to your face that people couldn't help. They couldn't show you this generosity. I thought about the widow and how many times when someone asked her how she was coping, she would say, I'm fine. Yeah, things are good. Because she didn't want to admit the financial mess. Because we're like that. We're like the widow. We hide. And it often means that we get to rock bottom before we'll actually admit that we'll need that help. Or we don't admit it. And we walk away and we get into a bigger mess. But the widow knew that God would provide. But I wonder how many nights she sat praying and expecting a financial breakthrough, but didn't take that first step to engage with the people around her. I wonder how often she sat in her bedroom asking God to do something when God was saying, but you need to do something first. You need to tell someone you need this. You need to tell someone you need help. And I can imagine, I know what I believe, but God, but you're bigger than that. I don't need somebody else. I only need you, God. But God's surrounded us with people who love us, and He's done that for a reason. When she finally tells Alicia how bad things are, he comes straight back with a question How can I help? You see, 
she had asked lots of times. She had been praying, she'd been on her knees, she had been begging God, but God still come back and said, step out, say what you need. He does the same with us. He wants us to admit to him and other people who can help us and what we need. I thought about the widow knocking on her neighbour's door and asking for jars. If that was me, I would not want to admit how bad the situation was to my neighbours. It's sometimes hard enough coming to church to admit how bad things are, but to go to your neighbours and say, can I have? I would have been embarrassed to ask for what I needed. I just can't imagine what my neighbours would have thought either. You see, Alicia didn't say she was to go to each neighbour and ask for one jar. She wasn't even to go and ask for a few jars. She was to ask for all of their empty jars. Then I thought, if I'm the neighbour and I'm on the other side... I would probably be thinking, what does she want my jazz for? I'll have her get it back. Because you know yourself, if you love blowing someone and someone and you make them something, how often do you get that jar back or the Tupperware or whatever it is? You're probably going to lose it. But you see, God spoke to me about how the first person that gave their jar was the person that had the most faith to give. How many neighbours would have said no? Each of the people who gave a jar was shown her generosity. They had the faith that they were, what they were doing was the right thing to do. It would have been a ridiculous request for some people. But if they had faith that God provided a miracle for the widow, then they would be part of it. How often have you felt you were to give something? It could be your time, your skills, your friendship, your money. For instance, has there been an event at church that you would have had to give up your time to come to? A prayer meeting, a life group. It's much easier not to give your time and believe that other people will turn up. Because if you're not there, somebody else will be. Or has God challenged you to invite someone to church, but again, you don't want to give up your time. Or you might be too embarrassed to ask them. So instead of doing it, you pray, God, put somebody else in their past. Get someone else to invite them for me. How often have we had an offering at church? And it could be the Christmas gifts when we see all the presents under the tree for the families that are struggling. Were you one of the first to give or did you wait until you saw the gifts under the tree before you joined in? I don't know about you, but I always find it much easier to give when I see what's already been given. I've even used the excuse that I'll wait to see what they need when everybody else is given and I'll fill the gap. I've given, but I didn't give first. During the first lockdown, we were asked as a church to give to families via the online giving platform. And this was to get families again, who are struggling to get them games and sports equipment and things to help them get out of the house and spend time with their family. But for me, and I'm sure for some other people in here, that's a much harder thing to give because I can't see if somebody else is already given. Am I the only person that's given? Will I give to that? Should I give to that? But see, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're giving. It matters that God's asked you to give. It takes faith to give and trust that God will multiply what you've given. If I was the only person that gave, if I'd stepped out and I was first and I really believed it, God would multiply that. But if I'm waiting to the end, then where's my faith that God's multiplying like the loaves and the fishes or the jars of oil? How many jars were filled? You see, this widow needed to have the faith in other people's generosity to receive from them and to receive from God. This is where I find it much more difficult than having the faith to give. She had to step out of her comfort zone and tra- trust God. See, she was stretching her faith. She had to believe that people would give 
and <coughs> excuse me, the, the oil would pour to fill the jars. So she needed loads of faith, not just faith that something would happen, that people would give her the jars. But once she's got the jars, then she still has to trust God to say, okay, God, I've done what you've now told me to do. And then she had to wait to see whether God would still fulfill yet another promise. The people who had faith to give their jars and believe that God would bless her and the widow and her sons. You see, in verse 6, the woman then asked her son for another jar and there's no more. And I can imagine the people at the, the beginning and they start to give their jars. But then there's other people that hear about the miracle and they'll start to come with their jars, either because they're nosy and they want to see if what they're hearing about the miracle is true, or sometimes people come from further away because they want to be part of what God's doing. But this is a part of the story that really got me worried because it made me think how sometimes we wait too long to give because we were waiting on that first person giving. Or we wait until, I'll wait until God tells me I have to give. I'll wait until I hear that explicit word from God that I have to give. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never ever heard from God to say, Kerry, you have to give this much here. God always lays in your heart to give what you have. I've never, ever, ever had someone stand from my platform and go, Kerry, today's the day that you have to give. Like, I just know that I'm supposed to do it. But like so many other areas of my life, I wait and I wait and I wait and goes, I'm not telling you. I've already done it. I'm not telling you again. And then I think how often I've missed out on what God was doing because I was too busy dilly-dallying, waiting for somebody else to go first. In Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, it says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I don't want to be the person that comes with my jar to be told that the oil's already stopped pouring because I was too late. For the widow and her sons, they receive God's generosity and the generosity of our neighbours. She was able to pay off all her debts and her sons and her were able to live in what was left. This is a part of the story that blows my mind because God made sure she didn't just have enough to save her sons from a life of slavery, but to be able to live the rest of their lives without worry. Doesn't it say that they just lived the rest of their lives? They lived it without worry. They had no financial burden. But then I think back to the neighbours and I think about those jars. And I don't believe that God did not provide even enough money to replace the jars because God always gives more than what we could ever imagine. So the neighbours had to get their jars back. Because if not, she was still in debt to the neighbours. And that is not what God says. God says that they were able to live their lives without worry. It isn't always money we need to be generous with. Because I know that you can't get time back. You can't stop it. You can't pause it. But I also know from personal experience, when I give God my time, I end up being more productive in other areas of my life. So it actually feels as if time has stopped. Almost as if it's paused when it seems impossible that I'd be able to do this and church, my job and church. And I can't explain it. I only know that that's God 
performing a miracle in my life when it comes to time. But it's much easier to be generous when you're engaged. It's when you're engaged, you're more committed. And we engage with the church. We want the best for the church. And that includes the building. And I'm sure, ladies, if you've already seen those toilets, oh my goodness, I am so glad that we gave and were generous. Men, yours are coming. But I'm just telling you, it is so worth the wait. But when we're engaged in the building and the people, the people that we still want to come to church with us and the people that we are still inviting, we can be like the boy and we can give what we have when God's asked for it. This could be our skills, our talents, or our times. Our time. We could be like the widow and it could be the very last of your money. There will also be times in your life when we will be like the widow with oil and God will send others to help us. I truly believe that as we step out and become more generous in all things and all areas, it will become a way of life. The people who gave in the stories that I've shared today gave what they had. I want to be like them. I want to give what I have. And I want to stop worrying about what I don't have. God isn't asking me to give what I don't have. He's only asking me, like Jim said last week, what have you got in your hand? That's what he's asking you to give. So, this is my challenge. It's for me as well. Are you ready to become more engaged with what God is meaning? This means you'll probably become more generous and your faith will increase. But you can't be the callous. You can't be like the little girl in the book who sat in the sign lines. You have to be really engaged. You have to be engaged, be part of the miracles of God. The song that Sean sang at the end of this morning was all about God's miracles. But if we are not engaged, if we are not part of what he's doing, if we're not fully committed, then we're going to miss it. So, are you ready? Are you ready to just take that huge step of faith to become engaged to make generosity a way of life and let God do in your life and in the life of the church. I'm just going to ask the band to come back up and I'm just going to pray for us as a church this morning. I really believe that this year is we're all stretched out of our comfort zones and it's not always a nice place to be. But the more that you step out, the more faith that you have, the more generous we'll be, the more engaged we'll be and God will bless us. Lord, I just thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for what you've already done in our lives, Lord. Lord, I thank you that we'll never be able to match your generosity, Lord. We'll never be able to match what you gave when you died on that cross for us. But Lord, I just pray as each one of us leave here this morning, Lord, that we can look back in our lives and we can see where you've been generous in so many ways, Lord. And now as we step into the future, we step into tomorrow and whatever you've got for us going forward, Lord, that we will be a generous people. Lord, we just praise your name and we thank you because you are amazing. Lord, I just pray for everyone here this morning and everyone that hears this online, Lord, that you just bless them, Lord, and stretch them the way that you've stretched me this morning in your precious name. Amen.